Hi, everyone. Hi. If I could speak better, this will be a much better podcast. Hi, everyone. (laughs) Nina is with me and helping me out here. Nina Rao, so great to have you. It's just, you know, this is... uh, this is the best part, everybody, of doing podcasts with, uh, especially with friends, that we can hang out like this and just talk is wonderful. Yeah, and in, but in this case, there's more than talk. There's music because Nina, as many of you know, has been uh, chanting for quite some time and has a brand new record that's coming out at the end of September called Anuban. And we're going to talk about that, and you're going to okay. Explain. First of all, <laughs> yeah, Anubhav. Okay, uh, yes. <laughs> I can't read my writing. Okay, what am I going to do? All right, you say it properly and tell us what it means. Anubhav. So Anubhav um, is a word actually that Ma used when I was talking to her, and in a lot of the time that I spent with Siddhima. As you know, she talked about doing practice. You know, that was a big part. Any question you went to her with, she would say, well, do Hanuman Chalisa or go sit in front of Maharaji, you know, do Pratna, do this, do that. And um, when uh, she was talking to me about practice and she said it's very important to have a disciplined practice, she also said, she said, um, you know, you can have whatever you, you'll have spiritual experiences of your own, your own inner experience. And that's when she used that word anubhav, which kind of hmm. caught my attention. Because as I understand it, you know, once you keep doing practice, or even if you don't do practice, we all have our own experience, right? And that experience is what we learn to trust as we make decisions to walk down the path. So that word to me ha- carries a lot of weight, it's the place in your heart where we trust ourselves. What's the literal translation? The literal translation translation is spiritual experience huh. or perception or understanding, hmm. but on the inside. It's not something that's necessarily taught to you. It's right. like a spontaneous arising. Yeah, it's intuitive yeah. arising. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. Great record. There's so many wonderful things. Uh, is this a double record? No. No. The first one was a double record um, only because people wanted multiple melodies mm. of the Hanuman Chalisa. So when I made Antaryami, um, the first disc is all Kirtan, and the second is Hanuman Chalisas plus an old bhajan that I did with my grandfather. And then mm. we kind of put it together along with our current day family. Mm. This one is just a single CD. Right. Uh, yeah. And there is a Chalisa on it, everybody. And uh, one thing, we all Westerners have to thank Nina a whole bunch for helping us with the Hanuman Chalisa, most especially around the pronunciation, mm-hmm. as Nina, as you know, is from India. And uh, the best we had till you was, what, maybe Krishna Das. He does a pretty he has done a pretty good job and he's gotten better over the years in terms mm-hmm. of the pronunciation mm-hmm. and uh, do you help him out uh, when he does the chalisa on not record not really not really you don't stand he, he, right in front of him he, like a <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't want my help you know he he talks about how um, the way in which he pronounces things you know he jokingly says my english you know uh-huh. 
or uh, something like this. So it, as he describes it, you know, there are four different T's and D's in, in, the, in, the, in the Sanskrit or in Hindi as well. And it's hard for Westerners when you don't actually speak the language to hear the difference between da, 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 da. You know, and it's like, wait, he said, doesn't that all sound the same? So he's made it simpler. And what I try to do is to just sing it in a, as I hear it, because I spoke Hindi, you know, when I lived in India. And of course, I do now also when I go back there. Um, so I try to make it as close. And it is, I think, the right pronunciation. Mm. Yeah. As I say, thank you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, oh, and and not to be too inside here. We talked. We're just talking about Krishna Das, who most of you do know. But Nina has been working with him for many, many, many years. It's how I met Nina in the nineties, mid nineties. Yeah. And so you, you know, that's been a pretty good job that you've had, and you've been of enormous help to him, and and therefore to many people. So uh, that's uh, part of. Uh, Nina's realm is certainly Krishna Das and, of course, what she's doing here with music. Mm-hmm. But, uh, Nina, since um, what I'd love is just, it's interesting, this juxtaposition that you're in, you know, as an Indian woman living in America, and uh, I know your story, uh, but I'd like you to share just growing up in India a little bit of of, of yourself then and because you really grew up in the uh, just the essence of a wonderful Indian family. It's what Krishnas and I both talk about when we talk about how we got from people like K.K. Shah an introduction to what Indian family really is and what that means. And you, you lived it and then came, uh, came uh, to America. Maybe just talk a little bit about what that was yeah. for you. Well, it's interesting to, to actually discuss this because... Uh, my first reaction, you know, when Krishnas would say there are functional families in India, is to is to say, really? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. families are families everywhere. Yeah. You know, I see beautifully functional families in in the West as well. the The difference, I think, is that um, in the case of my family, my uh, my mother's father, you know, he had his place in the world. He was a civil engineer for the British government. And as it happens, he was, you know, the the most well-to-do citizen of the little village that he came from. And so he had the only car, you know. So, for example, when we went to visit him, uh, when we came from the trains, we arrived at the train station, his was the only car on the road and everybody in the village would be, all the kids were running behind the car to see, you know, who's come. Mm. And they'd heard we'd come from abroad because my father worked with Air India. And so we spent six months in, six years in India and six months abroad. So in the first 20 years of my life, I really only spent 10 years in India. But my parents grew up in India. They, um, you know, obviously held on to a lot of their Indian family values. But my father was very keen that my sisters and I live in the West. Because he felt, yeah, he was was really very much ahead of his time in terms of how he was with with women. For example, um, when he married my mother, he refused. He said, uh, I will marry her because I want to marry her, but I don't want her family's dowry. Wow. That was something in those days, you know, not that it was great riches or anything, but you know how it is in India. That was the custom. Mm. 
So he felt very strongly just on principle that that wasn't the right thing. So that was my dad. And he raised us like he would have, have, I have two sisters and he raised us, I'd say like the way you would raise boys in India, which is to give them all the opportunities you can Mm. give them all the education you can. He taught me how to drive. He taught me how to change tires in the car. He taught me how to fix things. And at the same time, you know, he also knew how to cook and take care of us. And so we learned from him. Um, And of course, my mother, you know, she was always present. She didn't work. So she was at home and took care of us. But our understanding growing up is that they were both in agreement on what their dharma was. Mm. And the dharma was to be our parents and do the best they could for each other and also for the children. So I didn't never grew up thinking that, oh, you know, my parents wouldn't be together or the house would split up or, you know, I don't think my mother ever thought for one moment in her life that her husband wasn't going to take care of her. Now in our generation, mine, and then everything onward, you know, it's very different. I mean, I've been married twice and divorced twice already. 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 (laughs) Oh, wait, before you go on though, talk just Dharma. Give a little definition of Dharma so everybody can, especially. Dharma, I mean, particularly, I mean, I use the word in the context of uh, right living, you know, in a way where you have concern for all other beings, taking care of your family and following in the footsteps of of those who've lived a, a life that's dedicated to honoring the divine, not just you know, like somebody out there, but as in everybody else. But as you know, when you're in India, uh, everything is done and thought of in the context of God. And though my parents didn't have a guru, like we didn't have a family guru per se, you know, we had puja every night before dinner. It was just a little altar. Uh, We lived everywhere in the world outside and we lived in a modern way, but at home, um, we had that was always there and we always went back to that that you know we'd light and my dad would light an incense and my mother would light the lamp before we had dinner every night and she would read the Devi Bhagavatam you know things like this so there were little just nothing things that yeah not even in a dream could I have ever expected that in my growing up family okay yeah well (laughs) and they never asked us actually to participate in any of that. Some of the things we did would be, we'd go to temple for special occasions. But I have to say, I, I might've been a little bit more predisposed to this path for whatever reason, because when I did visit my grandfather, it was different because he lived in a country home in the village in South India. And he had a big, beautiful puja room. And they were, you know, he was a devotee of Sai Baba. He had pictures of Shirdi Sai, oh. but he also went to see Satya Sai Baba. Oh. Like, you know, he was part of that, not intensely so, but enough that they would go see him. Did you go um, with your father to see Satya? No, this no, this was my grandfather. Oh, your grandfather? Did my you? grandfather. I never went. No, my no. parents did. Mm-hmm. I asked Siddhima about that, and I'll, I'll tell you about that oh, later. Yeah. But um, the... Um, when I went there, you know, everything went on in the household as normal. You know, we had mango trees and there were coconut trees and things were going on all the time. But puja happened every night. And my grandfather, you know, he'd wear his dhoti and he had his um, his um, 
just suddenly had a thought of him. Okay, oh. you know, he, he sat with his lungi and he would sit in front of the altar and he, he knew these prayers. And, you know, Raghu, he never studied music on his own, mm. but I have recordings of him singing mm. um, some South Indian poet saints, bhajans, that he basically taught himself. He knew the words and he made up his own melodies or he had heard them somewhere and he had a foot pedal harmonium. And so, and he would play with two hands. There's a foot pedal harmonium. There is. You pump it with your feet. Oh, God. Yeah. That's where I first saw a harmonium. Mm. And uh, so I had never heard him play. And one time when I was there, I saw this harmonium. And because I always wanted to take piano lessons as a child, I said, you know, can I, let me just play on the harmonium and say, play some of the songs that I'd learned in school, which I don't know what they were. So he said, sure, you can. Um, and I said, why don't you show me something you can play? And he said, I will, but you have to sing with me. Mm. So that was the first time that I had ever done like call and response in that way. Mm. So I said, sure. So he started singing Vinayaka, which is the bhajan that's on my first album, Antaryami, at the end. And I have this memory of this feeling I had where as he started singing, I had no idea what he was singing. And somehow it was so easy to respond. And we all entered into the space, which we all understand now when we chant, you know. But I'd never had that. And I don't know how I had the wherewithal to actually tape it. I had one of those little, you know, those wow. audio tape things because um, I had brought my own music and some blank tapes. So I recorded it. So I still have those recordings. How old were you? Um, the first time he started singing with me, I was about nine. And then the next time I went back, I was 10. And you were recording at 10 years old? Yeah. Wow. Uh, that's called getting in line with your uh, your eventual work dharma, is it not? Yeah. Well, I wasn't, rec yeah, I wasn't recording myself. I was recording yeah. other things. Well, that was yeah. Fun, you know? yeah. Yeah. That's so great. So that's what happened. The other thing that he had, though, which is such a blessing for me, was he had all English translations of Krishna Leela, of the Ramayana and the Mahabharata. And I would read them. You know, we didn't have phones and computers in, in the summer holidays, right, in those days. So you read. <laughs> so I took all those books off the shelf and I would read them. And I read them every summer that I went back. And when he died, my aunt gave me all those books. So now I have them here. Wow. <laughs> So, so somewhere, you know, everything was filtering down, even though I didn't have a steady practice. Um, somewhere in there, like the Leelas and the sacred texts, they found a place inside me, mm. which then got revived and awoken, awakened when I started chanting with Krishna Das. Mm. But in that period that, uh, you know, I guess you started a family, you were working and we're in the center of the the stream of american go get them right yeah so well did what happened in that period with your connection to that inner place that you met up with with your granddad i think i kind of compartmentalized it because mm. nobody ever spoke about it you know we didn't have satsang where we talked about things philosophically everybody just did puja and then we ate dinner and then we went to sleep. You know, there's never any discussion about it. And so we would leave my grandfather's place and then we'd go abroad wherever we were living at that time. And life went on. Um, certain places I realized, like I went to a lot of Christian schools or Catholic schools and I found 
that I wanted to go to church with the rest of the Catholic kids, <laughs> even though they wanted me to do some other moral science class. I said, can I please go so I can sit in church because I wanted to sing the hymns. <laughs> you know, they were singing. Mm. So I didn't think, again, I didn't really think much about any of this, honestly, until um, I came to New York and I was working on Wall Street and, and all this. And uh, I had a total burnout with that job. And I decided to do wildlife trips in Africa and India, which is what I was doing for a while. And um, it was then that I met Krishnadas. But everything that happened before that, I feel was, um, I started listening to a lot of Indian classical music. You know, I was slowly getting pulled back into that realm of uh, the way in which because Indian classical music, as you know, is very spiritual in a certain way. So I was kind of moving totally. into that direction. And I started doing yoga, you know, which was something that was beginning to, to um, get popular in America. But for a while, I had no connection with any of this. Mm. I was just doing what I had to do to survive. I got married and yeah. went through all kinds of family stuff. And I got divorced. I changed my job a few times. You know, and, and being in the bush and being in, in, you know, the natural areas was a big part of my practice, I think, in those days, because I really loved that connection and with nature. nature. And yeah, mm. that was a big thing. Yeah, so then you're doing yoga, Jiva Mukti, and then somebody comes on singing, you heard? Well, it wasn't even at Jiva Mukti. I didn't even know there were yoga centers. This was in my gym. Gym? And yeah. In my gym, in my building. And uh a Jiva Mukti teacher who, Kachi, everybody, a lot of people know her now, she lives in, in New Mexico, was teaching at Jiva Mukti at the time, and she had a retreat. Um, after teaching us at the gym, she left, and I said, I really want to continue practicing with you. And she said, oh, come up to the Catskills, I'm going to do a retreat. So I'd never done a yoga retreat, and I said, okay, fine, I can, I'll go do that. And Krishnas was on the schedule, because he had been seeing a Jiva Mukti prior to that. So she invited him to come and do the satsang at night. So I was very suspicious about what this was going to be about. You know, I say this a lot. I really thought he was going to be like a failed Indian musician who, you know, would be kind of leering at me. And, you know, <laughs> you have all these experiences as a woman in India. It's like, oh, I don't want to deal with any of this. So I, uh, I, but I wanted to honor Kachi. You know, it was her retreat and I said I'll go so I told my friend I'm going to sit at the back of the room and um, Krishnas walked in and I saw hmm. and he was wearing all black in those days and Bobby came with him you know with the plastic mridanga and I said this is going to be worse this is now like a white guy what is happening here <laughs> and um, it's going to be some new age thing that I'm not going to like you know I had all these ideas in my head and I'm just like that now but anyway <laughs> Um, <laughs> that's why we are so close. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing I noticed though, before he walked in the room on the table was a little photo of Maharaji and a little photo of Hanuman with a candle. And I thought, hmm, who's that? You know, and that, that kind of occurred to me because that seemed important for some reason. So he sat down, said, hi, I'm Krishnadas and closed his eyes. I don't remember him saying anything. He started Sri Ram Jairam, and honestly, Raghu, three hours went by, and somehow I was sitting like right in front of him, you know, like here. Mm. You know how people sit mm -hmm. right in front of the harmonium? Mm. That was me. 
I never left, you know, that just, oh. that's, how, that's how it was. So karma is real, everybody, and, and your dharma certainly manifests so you know what it is you should be doing. I did know that I wanted to chant with him. You know, mm. we became very good friends over the weekend because we just connected and we talked a lot. And um, at that time, things were just happening for him. Slow, you know, he had one track heart had just been made. Mm. And uh, somebody gave me, uh, he was giving away the free audio tapes that was on Triloka label. Remember that? Yeah. Back then. And, um, and I, I broke that tape because I listened to it so much. <laughs> Just over and over and over. And mm. I heard Maharaji's Ram Ram. And I was mm. like, what is happening? I was crying. And, you know, you have that first opening in that way. I was like, what is this? Mm. And I would talk to him about it. And he basically didn't say very much and just said, here, read this. And he gave me Miracle of Love and Near and the Dear and By His Grace, which I still read over and over mm. again. And then finally, I begged him. I said, I, I, I have to understand what this is. I, I, I need to go to Kenchi. You don't need to go to India. And I said, I want a guru. I want a guru. I need a guru. You don't need a guru. You know, this, this is going round in circles. And, I, and finally, I said to him, I said, okay, I don't need a guru. I just need to go to Kenchi. I need to go and set foot in this place. I know I do. So he said, all right, all right. If you're going to go, then you must go and meet this being. And he then pointed me towards Siddhima at that time. Mm. So that was two years after I met him. And uh, I went in 1998. And that was the first time I had Ma's darshan. Mm. Uh, for everybody, Siddhima was our Indian mother and a saint in her own right. Can and you this, see her? Yes, it's beautiful. That beautiful picture. And uh, so he left her for us for many, 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 many years. Uh, and she just left at the end of last year, at the end of December. And uh, she was a beacon of light for many, many, many people. And so, uh, and I say to you, and so then, of course, I met you around that time when you met Krishnadas, because you would come out and, or I'd come to New York and he'd be doing stuff and we met. And then, Later, as you, you started really going to India after you met her the first time, you were going fairly often, and so was I, and we would meet up in Kenshi, and I tell everybody, one of the most wonderful things for me was being able, we would sit and do Hanuman Chalisas, and, uh, and uh, Siddhima would have us do them at 4 o'clock every day, and in front of this uh, statue of uh, Neem Karoli Baba that they have in this uh, Samadhi uh, Mandir temple. And we would do this, and uh, yeah, a lot. We've done it a lot, and, uh, and so yeah, it's definitely something that's a, a, a highlight experience being with you doing this, Nina. It so, really was. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that, I had the great blessing to be able to do was to translate for her, you know, in, in, in the darshans. Um, <laughs> and by the way, and Nina knows a lot about my private life. Not that anything <laughs> is, uh, <laughs> I was trying to hide anything from her, but uh, yeah, because she would be interpreting for, uh, for me and eventually my wife, Siddhima, uh, Siddhima Saraswati, uh, my real 
and uh, we would uh, we were involved in getting to know each other. So uh, Nina would be translating all of the uh, details of what Ma's like. Oh, really? You're gonna get together? And she used to bug me about getting divorced all the time previously. So uh, yeah, you know too much. Well, I'll tell you the truth. So much of the translations, I would just do them and it would come in through here and out. <laughs> I didn't retain it. It's really interesting. Like unless I wrote something down, I wouldn't remember. It was like purely, honestly, the fact that I know Hindi at all, I understand now that it was for this reason. Mm, really? So that I could talk to her. It's not my native tongue. You know, we speak Kannada. My yeah. family's from yeah. the South. I know. I never studied Hindi, but somehow I can understand it and I can speak it not bad. Yeah, so, no, terrific. And yeah, so that was a great blessing for me to be able to. And sometimes I would just sit there and uh, as I would, would translate or somebody was talking, you know, she's, you know how she does this. Maharaji did this with you too. Suddenly she'd look at you and so in that look, she's telling you something. It's a split second mm. and everything else is going on, but she's told you something really specific. Yeah. So while I had a chance, I was sitting there. I had many times I was just sitting there and talking and she, I was getting teachings simultaneously of my own, mm. you know, separate mm. from what I might be saying to mm. the other people. Well, just for everybody, because it's not often that any of us get a chance to sit with such a, a being and, and I know, you know, Krishnadas is correct that there's no need to go to India. Maharaji has proved that over and over and over for since the day he left and the, since the days we knew him, absolutely no difference. He does, and he himself said it's not necessary for the guru to be in a physical body. But it's delightful, it's true, and should uh, karma... Uh, point you in that direction so you just give us something of uh, an experience of being with her especially when you first were getting to know her and and how uh, she uncovered a whole bunch of stuff I would imagine yeah it's you know it's been interesting now over the last 20 years to think about how I should name or describe name my relationship with her you know and um i've i've decided because this is what it feels to me like i consider her my guru that's how i talk about her mm. and um i don't know if that's there are a lot of people who have different ways of thinking about ma but my relationship with her at the very beginning was, you know, I, I still don't understand the presence of Maharaji necessarily. I mean, I certainly didn't see him in the body, but he's got a hold of me. You know, no doubt it came through Krishnadas's first Sri Ram and took me to India. And the way I see it is that he is that presence. She is that presence too. She happens to also be inside of that. And I'm inside of that too with you and, and everybody else. Yeah. But when I first saw her, I had this idea that I was going to have this great release and I was going to fall at her feet. You know, all the drama that, yeah, that yeah. you have an idea of. Like, and she's going to sweep me up in her arms and say, don't worry, I'm going to take care of you. I don't know what I was thinking. No, we're and, all thinking that. Okay. <laughs> so I got there and my memory of this is that she was sitting in the room and 
she was like a silhouette. I couldn't see her face. But she was sitting inside the presence of Maharaji, like the same feeling I had when I first heard Krishna sing Sri Ram. Mm. You know? But the thing that occurred to me a little bit later as I was walking around the temples, I don't know if you've ever looked inside the temple and up into the dome of the temples. I don't know why I did. I did. And I recognized that I had already had a dream of Ma before I ever went there and ever knew her. Because the dream was her sitting, I don't know, it's so bizarre dreams, but she was sitting on a swing suspended from a pink dome. And she was wearing this white sari and I was sitting on her lap. And we were on this swing. And when I looked up in the dome, there was the dome with the chain, with the, the thing that comes down. So who knows, like, what is chronological? I can't explain. But over the years, you know, I made a, I felt a call to go and see her every year, at least once a year. The only one time I didn't go was when Uma was two years old. And as a toddler, it was really hard to take her. So I didn't. Um, that's my daughter. And, but I went there when Uma was four and a half months old. I took her there as an infant because it all felt very important for me that I get Ma's blessing as much as I could. And she has helped me on like on a personal level from the, from the first day up until the very last day that I saw her. Asking about my personal life, you know, my marriages, my divorces, my children, my relationship, my work my mother, my father, my cats. I mean, name it, you name it, everything, mm. everything. You know, she was, nothing was separate. Nothing was spiritual and nothing was not spiritual. Yeah. It was all one, all the same. Right. But what I, what Huge she. Huge thing that is, by the thing. way, we're just, you're just saying that and I'm, I'm agreeing with you, but everybody out there, yeah. this is, many of us, absolutely, we do our spiritual life and then we do our worldly life. Okay, yeah. this is not, this is illusion. There is only one thing going on, and this is a perfect example of that, that yeah. Nina just recounted. And, you know, when you were with her, in her presence, you could understand that, because she was a model of that, you know. She was always, Maharaji was always on the background, foreground of everything. And yet, you know, she was ta dealing with what was happening in the kitchen, is there garbage out there? Does this need to be cleaned? Thinking about a million things. Who's getting what prasad? You know, everything was happening at the same time. Mm. And with full consideration of everything, everybody's feelings, anything that was anybody's comfort, you know, little things. I mean, once, I don't know why she said this to us. We were in Kenchi, a bunch of us, and we were going to drive to Delhi as we normally did, you know, and it was time to leave. And she said, don't drive. And it wasn't monsoon either. It wasn't monsoon like the roads were going to be difficult. Or something. She said, don't drive. Go to Katkodam, stay the night and take the train. Oh, no, it was Haldwani, not Katkodam, Haldwani. So he's like, stay the night in Haldwani. Okay, you know, we'll do that. But this is, she had food packed for us. And Raghu, little container of salt. Because I like salt. She packed with her own hands. Really? I mean, you know, there's a little, and this is just the littlest of things. Yeah. And every time, you know, I went back, we had all kinds of things to deal with. But one of the moments that I had, and it's 
hard to describe. You know, I talked to Mirabai, Mirabai Bush about this because all of you have spoken so much about Maharaji over the years. And one of the words that comes up so often that you all use is unconditional love, mm. you know. And I'll be honest with you and say that I have a tough time using that word because I'm not 100% sure really what that means. So if I had to describe my relationship with her, I would say that there came a time where whatever was going on in my heart and my mind, I felt like I didn't have to hide from her and that she would never turn away from me. In fact, she moved into my heart. She lives here. So any question that I have to ask, any feeling that I might have, she's living it with me. But I trust that it's going to be okay because she's there. Well, that is the, there is no conditions. Mm. It's unconditioned. Yeah. Absolutely unconditioned. You know, this, when you talk about those little things that they mean more than the big things, the kind of consciousness that is absolutely inside everything. Yeah. Dada Mukherjee, who, by the way, anybody out there listening, the greatest book to, to get any kind of feeling of Maharaji is Dada Mukherjee's books, The Near and the Dear, and By His Grace. Absolutely. Those two books, the long side of... I'm not a big miracle of love recommender these days because there's so much in there of Indians interpreting Maharaji's words in a way that we know he never said it. At least he never mm -hmm. said it like that, so it pisses me off. Uh, love everyone is more accurate because it's the Westerners who actually wrote down what you know, and it, we're we're way better than the Indians. <laughs> but uh, still, back to Dada Mukherjee. Yeah, Dada Mukherjee said. You know, I've had so many miracles done on me, done for me, done whatever, by Maharaji. They aren't what I was at all interested in. I was interested in the human caring that he displayed on a day-to-day -day kindness. That's what I was interested in, you know. And he literally was certainly one of the greatest devotees, uh, people that we ever ran into, who's actually a living emblem of the kind of service that uh, we know th of Hanuman, which Hanuman does, who for Ram. So Did you spend much time with him, Raghu? Yeah, ton of time with him. Yes, I, when uh, I went I back, whenever I went back to India, absolutely went there, went to Allahabad. And he'd say, so you come, and I'd tell him when I came, when I was leaving, he'd say, oh, so only two fifths of the time you would be coming here you know he jived me about it oh god so great so listen we're talking 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 and we have music which oh. says things so much better so we want to talk about music uh and the chance on this on this cd but we need to really let people have a chance to for themselves to hear a little preview even though it'll be coming out a few weeks from this well no the podcast will be around the time it comes out, so you'll be able to get it, get the record. But um, there's one song in particular, or chant, um, and it's called Ama Sitaram, mm -hmm. okay? And that has, in, I'm a huge fan and proponent of, of 
the way in which mantra can absolutely be the most uh, uniquely connected way to get to the true selves, to our true selves, whatever you want to call it, spiritual heart, soul, Buddha mind, doesn't matter. But it's, it's the most efficacious way. And, of course, in India, because we're in the Kali Yuga, they say it is the only way. Is right. So uh, there's a, Nina, wonderful, especially in the middle of, of this, um, it's, you know, it's a fairly long piece, uh, the kind of uh, trance-like repetition of the mantra with a beautiful melody, simple, which Thank is fantastic. You. Yeah. Uh, that enables anyone can just get into it just like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that I really, really uh, love and, and appreciate. And I think uh, let's listen to it a little bit and then talk about mantra. Okay, here, mm-hmm. here we go. Ram, Ram. 
So that was not the whole song, but some of uh, Ama Sitaram. And I guess we're referring to Amachi in terms of the Sitaram? Yeah, I'll tell you just a little story okay. about it. Um, uh, you know, when Uma was was tiny, you know, her father, uh, Devdas, is, is a very deep devotee of Amma. So we spent a lot of time with Amma. And one of the things that Uma liked to watch is... Amma, just so everyone knows, is, yeah. is uh, referred to as the hugging saint. Um, yes, Mata Amritananda Mayi. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we would watch little videos of Amma satsangs because Uma used to like to watch that and listen to the bhajans and stuff. And I just remember this one video that we watched where Amma had just finished hugging a whole lot of people in the old days. And it was in a gym in Australia or someplace. And she got up, she was wearing her white sari and she picked up the symbols and she started singing what I think is this melody, but we can't find it anyway. I heard it many years ago. I don't have a recording of it anymore. And she just started walking in a circle and singing this. Simply, no music, no nothing. And everybody in the room got up. And she did this, like this cute, like one step, two step walking in a circle. And everybody, and she just, they just did that for, for a long time. Mm. And there's something about the simplicity of that really struck me, you know. And I don't know how, but some years, many years later, I just, this melody came to me. I remember it as what she was singing, but none of the Amma devotees remember it. I asked Dave, I asked Dave Das, he said, I don't know, it's your version of something. Yeah, <laughs> he doesn't right. know that's what a, it is. Yeah. So oh, that's beautiful though. Yeah. Uh, it's so let's uh, talk about mantra a little bit and mm -hmm. related obviously, uh, you know, we're talking about chanting the name of God and there's the wonder of uh, Hinduism is there's so many different gods and goddesses and you whatever your pr proclivity is uh, yeah. you can establish a relationship with that aspect of the divine so it's uh, which is a, a wonderful thing so mantra though you talk a little bit about mantra and and how it's uh, been the central practice for you and and it's manifesting through sharing this with other people through these cds yeah um you know the literal translation of of mantra is you know the sound that is a protection for your heart mind you know and there's something about just that literal translation that I find helpful that I have something to hold on to um, that is protection. That's just even just at that very basic level, but without even knowing that. Um, and later hearing so many different mantras, but also feeling connected to so many of them. You know, we might have a proclivity towards one. And we might adopt that as our regular practice. But um, still, you just in the way Krishnadas or any of us sings Kirtan, you know, we're singing different mantras throughout the night. And I feel that the energy that's carried in that mantra is an energy that passes through each one of us. So we happen to resonate with whatever that is at that moment. And it's healing. I really think that mantras are healing. I don't know how it works. I'm sure somebody's figured that out. But I know that it works because we've been doing it over time. And what it's become for me 
And I say this all the time about not just even mantra, but specific prayers like Maharaji called Hanuman Chalisa Maha Mantra, is that, you know, it's not just a tool, but for me, it's a refuge. It's a place where I can go. Mm. It really is. Mm. And, and so when I wanted to have a japa practice, in case people want to know what japa, japa means, japa is the repetition of a particular phrase, divine name, the phrase of divine names. And in the Indian tradition, it's believed that if you adopt one of them as your practice, like many gurus will give initiation into a particular mantra, um, that you should stay with it. Like in By His Grace, um, Maharaji goes to Dada in the, in the Shiva temple and gives him the Gayatri mantra in the morning. Do you remember that? In the very first part of the book. Dakshineshwar. And, uh, yeah, in um, and I felt like I really wanted to have that for myself. And I had seen a lot of different groups, like, you know, there's the whole Muktananda and Guru Mai, like Om Namah Shivaya is mm. a very big thing. Mm. Or you go to ISKCON and the Hare Krishna mm. Mantra is a very big thing. Or you go to Amas Ashram and, you know, everybody has their own. And when we went to Kenchi, of course, the thing that I remember most in my mind from One Track Heart is Maharaji. You know, there's that little recording of him saying, Ram, Ram, yeah. Ram, Shri, Ram, Ram, yeah. Ram. And when Krishnas told me that that was constantly on his lips, you know, he was always uttering it, whether it was silent, that just... And then I read other things about, you know, Raman Maharshi said that our very inner nature is in a state of invocation at all times. Mm. And so we just have to tap into that place. You know, these are all messages coming in so many different ways, but ultimately you understand that when you do the practice. The chant then starts to do you. You're not even doing the chant anymore. I'm sure you wake up in the middle of the morning. Suddenly you'll wake up in the morning and you'll be like verse 5 of Hanuman Chalisa. It happens to me. I don't know. I'm sure it happens to you. So I like that place. Yeah, I like it too. I'm yeah. totally with you. You know, I found something you said, and and this, um, you really gave a, a wonderful definition for the core of what this is, practice is. And then there's one thing that you said that is a very practical, shall we say, result of actually doing the practice, and it's a, it allows a way to step out of reactionary behavior. I saw you somehow said that somewhere, wherever I picked that up. And uh, this is, uh, as, as listeners of Mind Rolling know, I have been spending a lot of time with different people discussing uh, Krishnadas's uh, premise of the wake up in the morning with the movie of me. <laughs> in fact, uh, we're doing a whole thing at at the summit in, I, I called him, I said, so we're doing this thing at the summit in California, which is a big conference, and I, I'm going to use this movie of me thing from you. I just want you to know that, of course, he wants a royalty, but we, there's no money coming, so I don't know what to give him. Uh, <laughs> that's just an old back and forth with him and I for decades and decades, uh, but it is a wonderful um subject to address and certainly in this case and what you said this goes a long way this particular practice to really 
be uh, allowing you to be oriented to the witness that is not with judgment, that place inside that it's all okay. Mm-hmm. And we don't have to get lost in following and reacting to everything around us by virtue of you have that. Once you create, and Nina just said, that mantra starts to do you the more that you do it. And then you are seeing the universe, your, your little movie of me, from a completely different perspective, one that you're not quite as caught up in it. So very practical uh, application. But again, you know, you only really understand that when you do it. You know, so people can say it to you all the time. Um, I mean, which is not to say that you shouldn't use other methods to help yourself. You know, whether you're going for therapy or you're doing other meditation practices, all of that is fine. But I, I, my experience has been that there is a power inherent in these names that are transformative. And so if we do it, it works. Yeah. But you got to do it. I do all sorts of different things, different practices, and, you know, the chant is a central thing but you know i do lots of i'm interested in tibetan buddhism etc yeah about two yeah. years ago i went with a friend Sridhar, to uh the hari krishna iskon people had a convocation of doing hari krishna hari ram doing the mantra you know every day all day kind of a thing with different yeah. leaders and so on he invited me there and i thought oh it's beautiful in some mountains of north carolina in boone and by the time i got out of there Okay, I was ready to shave my hair, put the little top notch in that they do with the Krishna cult and and say, you're absolutely right. There's no need to do anything at all. Just do Maha Mantra. And I was I was part of that. They had indoctrinated me like that. (laughs) I was part of that cult. So I I, uh, but but you didn't. I didn't, but I still do, and I still use this as a kind of jokey way to say the efficacy of chant mantra, uh, if anybody, well, what do I do? My life every day, it's a chaotic thing. I don't know how to get in balance. It's the easiest way because it encompasses both the meditative uh, practice that one would say, okay, meditation, I'm going to use the breath and I'm going to follow the breath and I'm going to get one pointed. It encompasses that, but with the heart and with the other thing that you're talking about, these mantras have an effect that we have no idea about. Subtle vibrations and, and in the doing of them, something happens that we can just allow to happen. So the, yeah, I do think this is the most efficacious. I think it can it can be that way. A lot of it also, though, Raghu, I think it depends on our intention, you know, and the amount of energy that we dedicate to the practice. Like, as you know, Ma had said to us, she said, yes, you all know Hanuman Chalisa. You can sing it for hours. Very good. But when you do your practice, and she told me this, when you are at home doing your own practice, she said, read and try to focus very much on what it is that you're singing, the actual meaning of what you're seeing. All of this is to create the concentration and try to let go of the thoughts that are also in our mind flow. I mean, it's going on all the time. You know this when we're sitting and singing Hanuman Chalisa. We could be thinking about, oh, is this happening okay in the retreat? You know, because we have so many practical things that we're thinking about at the same time, right? So it is important to dedicate also your yeah. mind and your energy and your time 
even if it's just this much. Yeah. I think that that's worth five minutes of doing one hour of walking around with Imala and doing, you know, rah, 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 and, and like not really paying attention to what you're doing. Yep. 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 By the way, it took me 30 years of her telling me, not telling me in particular, but say, you know, you, you got to learn the words to this. So read this thing when you're doing it, the Hanuman yeah. Chalisa. So it took yeah. 30 years, but I got it after a while. Yeah. Uh, and now it's there, right? When you, when you sing it, you can think of the, what you're singing? Not a hundred percent, but that's okay. Pretty good, pretty yeah. good. And I keep working on it. I I keep yeah. doing it. Every time I do it, I think of her. Every time I do it, I think of her. So that to me, that's just another blessing. I was just about to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, my favorite song chant on the album. Okay. I mean, I think I already told you this, so it's not a big surprise. Tashi Lamo. Cheno. Lama Cheno. Lama Cheno. Okay, and explain what that means and, uh, yeah. Um, it's interesting. Every song in this album has some little story behind it. Yeah, but that's great. this particular one, um, I had gone to be with the Karmapa up at KTD, which is up here in, mm, in Norway. 17th, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, 17th Karmapa. I had seen him once before when he first set foot in American soil, which was some years ago. And I just went to see him because I knew he was a great being. I had no connection with any of the Buddhist teachings, nothing. He walked into the Waldorf Astoria (laughs) and I was in tears. And I didn't stop crying, honestly, for the whole time that he was sitting there. He was talking about Starbucks coffee. (laughs) It didn't matter what he was saying. And I didn't understand what was happening, but I understood uh, some other lifetime connection was there with this being. Who knows? So I've continued to see him whenever I can. And more recently, I went to see him at at this monastery upstate. And the the Tibetan devotees did this beautiful thing, which I'm, I'm sure you've seen. Before he enters the room, they all start singing Karma Pacheno. They all stand up. In awaiting, you know, they're creating the space for him. And rather than talking and chit-chatting or whatever, they're making the space for his arrival. And they're calling to him at the same time. So it's Karmapa, come, come be with us. Come, you know. Cheno is that, come. Yeah. Come and be here in my physical presence, but also come live in my heart. So when I I heard that, I thought, this is really beautiful. And I mentioned it to uh, Lama Surya Das. And he said, well, you know, Lama Cheno is a mantra that all Buddhists know, Lama Cheno. So I looked it up. And there are lots of different versions of Lama Cheno that, that Tibetans sing. And Surya says an interesting thing. He says, calling out the Lama as if from afar. Because mm. Lama is Guru. Guru is inside our hearts. But we don't know that. So as if from afar, you know. And it's similar like in the Hanuman Chalisa, we say, Hridaya Basohu means come and live in my heart, you know. Same idea. It's the same idea that we want the divine mm. presence to blossom. So it's just it was just there in my mind, I suppose. I don't know, again, how these things happen. But I went to see uh, Genevieve. Genevieve plays violin with me and with Krishnas, and we are very close. And when she had her baby, her first baby, Tashi, I went to California to see her. And uh, when I was holding him, I was singing to him, 
And I started singing this, this melody. And she said, what is that? That's really beautiful. Because she knows all my music. And I said, I don't know. I started singing La Maceno. Mm. And she said, um, well, you should sing it. Remember it. <laughs> because that's the other thing. The melodies come and if I don't remember it, then they're gone. So I kept singing it and then I kind of worked with it a little bit. And then I would just sing it myself at home. And then I went to go and sing uh, Kirtan for these bunch of Buddhist, um, some kind of teacher training thing they had done. And they asked me to lead Kirtan for their graduation ceremony. So I went and I was singing my usual stuff in the Buddhist, you know, very quiet, listening, deep meditative state. But they weren't singing because they didn't know these words that I was singing. So then I thought, I'm going to break out this Lama Cheno. I'm going to do this. Maybe that'll work. So it was the first time I had sung it. And they were totally there with me. Uh. They were right there with me because they knew that, that phrase, Lama Cheno. So I decided to call it Tashi Lama Cheno in honor of this baby. baby. Uh, <laughs> and it's a, everybody, it's a, a duet with Krishna Das. Uh, it's absolutely gorgeous. And without knowing anything, you wouldn't need to know this backstory or even what it means. You would get the, uh, the connected feeling for what it is, for sure, with that, wh which is the beauty of, of music. You don't need to understand anything. It just takes you there. So yeah. it's really, really uh, fantastic. I mean, it's such a simple phrase of pure longing, you know, yeah. this, which yeah. we all feel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Terrific. Nina, so great to have you with us here. I'm happy to be here. And now we're going to play uh, part of it uh, after we, uh, which will be right now. Um, but we're going to say goodbye, and then we're going to play it. So it'll end the the podcast. That's it. That's I don't it. get yeah. to hang out with you anymore. No, our sponsors only allow for one hour. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> We do have that's, them now, thank God. Actually, I know, that's, so that's a say. good thing. Um, but everybody, of course, we are going to. Uh, when you go to the page, uh, there will be show notes, which will have all the links, so that you'll be able to get the record and also be able to be connected with Nina through her website or Facebook or however which way, and. Um, uh, and maybe even, I have an idea. How about yes, you are an idea man, this I know. Yeah. How about books of your choice that you'd like to share with people? Yeah, I give could do that. Now, give me a couple right off the top okay. of my head. Right off the top of my head, definitely by His Grace People Should Read. Yep. I also like um, the Devi Bhagavatam by Ramesh Menon. Ramesh Menon, right? Right. And uh, the Krishna Leela by Vanamali. Krishna Leela by Vanamali. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's it. Okay, we there's more, him. but that's it. Well, we we only have room for three on the page for okay. some reason. It's a lot to read. Yeah. Thank you so much, <laughs> Nina. Really appreciate Thank it. Thank you, my dearest guru brother. I will see you very soon. Yeah. Where am I going to see you? Somewhere. Well, somewhere over the rainbow okay give my love to Saraswati yes we'll do namaste Ram Ram
Yeah.